Welcome to the Royal Caribbean Blog Podcast, a weekly look into the world of Royal Caribbean Cruising. I'm your host, Matt Hotchberg, and this is episode number 390. Maybe you heard, but Royal Caribbean is going to be offering cruises out of Barbados at the end of 2021, and this news is pretty darn intriguing. So this week, I wanted to talk about what this announcement means and what can we expect from these kind of itineraries. Here we go. There's been a lot of changes already in 2021, including a new set of cruises out of Barbados. And this week, I wanted to break down this big news because it's not only big news, it's also intriguing news. And I think it's actually good news as well. And that is Grandeur of the Sea sailing from Barbados. And to help me talk about cruises, I turned to uh, a number of esteemed colleagues and scientists. Unfortunately, none of them showed up. So we have uh, Billy Hirsch from CruiseHabit.com. Welcome back to the podcast, Billy. Thanks for having me. You know how much I enjoy being your 11th choice. Well, listen, it's uh, better than number 12. You don't want to know who that guy is. Uh, I'm, I'm afraid I do. And Michael Poole, shame <laughs> on you. Um, so uh, if, if you haven't seen it, uh, la- well, yeah, this is last week. I'm trying to remember, you know, of course, we record all these podcasts, Billy, as soon as the day that comes out. We never we would never pre-record any of these episodes. No, no. I, these are pretty much live. We just put a small tape delay in case you start cursing a lot again. <laughs> Exactly. Uh, Royal Caribbean announced that it would uh, offer cruises on grandeur of the seas, offering some Southern Caribbean itineraries beginning beginning in December of 2021 out of Barbados. So the cruise would actually leave from Barbados and go to a number of destinations in the Southern Caribbean. Some really actually um, very, very intriguing ones. Ports that Royal Caribbean has never actually visited before, including uh, Trinidad and Tobago, which, uh, you know, among others. So it's some really interesting itineraries. Again, these are seven-nighters grandeur of the seas out of Barbados and it caught my attention Billy for a couple of reasons um I, I think let's talk let's talk with the, the 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 most significant obviously the itineraries are truly for Royal Caribbean especially very exotic yeah it, it's it's remarkable anytime you have a cruise line that spends uh, where the majority of the fleet spends the majority of the time in the Caribbean and then you have itineraries in this general region that exposed ports that the line has never been to that's remarkable in and of itself even if it was just one port that would be news Mm. and um these are some ports that have been very popular with other uh cruise lines and even with uh pullmanter in the past but that we've just not seen uh not only from royal caribbean but from from some other we'll say north american centric lines uh, at least not with any frequency so if that was the only story here, it would be big news and and exciting to give people the opportunity to to see some new places because we're lucky enough to go on a lot of Caribbean cruises and, and sailings in this region. And yeah, I still like going to some of these places for the 11th time. <laughs> it, but the idea of seeing some new places is pretty exciting too. Yeah, I like the idea of it. I mean, certainly I would say the most common question among once people start cruising more than like, I don't know, two or three, four times is okay where else where else do these cruise ships go to besides mm-hmm. Cozumel, Nassau, you know, etc. And nothing wrong with those places, but it's I think a natural evolution to try to want to go to different places and see more exotic things. And the Southern Caribbean has always been that option, but even cruises out of San Juan, you know, are limited in that regard. But you know, I, I think we're gonna see, I think, a confluence of two things happening. One is the expanded itineraries, which is interesting. I think something that's always happening in the cruise industry, but also I think also the realities of 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 2021 and where we are right now um you know the the thing that that struck me initially 
um, was, of course, is this a move to get around the restrictions the government is imposing, the U.S. government is imposing on Royal Caribbean? And that was my initial thought on this, that, oh, well, they're offering cruises out of a country where the CDC has no jurisdiction. This makes total sense. Um, Royal Caribbean swears up and down. That's not the case. Um, they, I've, I've, on the record, they've told me that that's not the situation. That, um, in, in like so many other situations, uh, these itineraries are planned many years in advance. They don't just, you know, get on the phone and be like, "Hey, Barbados, what's going on, dude? Uh, you guys got a? We put a cruise ship down there. It doesn't quite work that way or that quickly by any means." And um, there's a lot at hand here, but it's hard to overlook that fact. Um, and to me, Billy, I'm looking at this. And, um, you know, as they say, Billy, a dream can be a dream come true with just that spark. We can go on a cruise. Um, it seems like we're, we're, we, this might actually happen. Like there's a good chance of this cruise actually sailing. I cannot begin to explain how happy that reference makes me just <laughs> on the record. Um, yeah, it, only, we can only guess what the reasons are for things like this. Royal Caribbean could put out a statement saying this had, you know, CDC and, and COVID had nothing to do with it. Uh, they could put out a statement said had everything to do with it. And really, we don't know. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, we can only guess. My take is that regardless of what the um, primary motivation or, or the catalyst was for this, and, and I think there are some um, things that may be related to COVID, but not related to the CDC actually coming into play here as well. This is uh, this is a change that, um, well, yeah, I, I guess relates back to uh, COVID in a way it guarantees things will be sailing. So even if even if no, we're not doing it because we think there's going to be a problem all the way into December of 2021. None of us know. None of us can tell the future. It does come as close as reasonably possible to guaranteeing because it takes one of the biggest elements, and that is the regulations. Uh, out of the U.S. and makes them uh, far less of an issue, if, if a non-issue. So it's a guarantee, or, or not quite, it, it's a near guarantee. Um, and it's not as if it's, uh, it's not as if it, it's an insurance policy, where if you pay for it and you don't need it, you, you feel like, well, I, I don't get to see that money again. <laughs> Even if somebody waved a magic wand and all sailings resumed next month out of North America, which to be clear is not going to happen. Um, that that doesn't mean that this opportunity for the line out of the Barbados is is gone. It, it, it's still an opportunity. It's still something that guests can enjoy, something new that they can try out, and maybe it turns into a much bigger thing, or maybe it turns into something that they just do for a season or two. So uh, it's a bird in the hand, whether or not. Yeah, it and, was and planned that way. Exactly. I think you, you brought up some interesting points. And the other thing that you remember is, you know, not only this, when the when the cruise industry shut down and a lot of ports were shutting down, Barbados was not one of them. Barbados was one of the few ports in the world that would allow cruise ships to not only visit, resupply, but also drop off crew members. That was a huge thing, because mm -hmm. if you recall early in or early in the shutdown, you know, late spring, summertime where there were a number of crew members who were essentially stuck on cruise ships and it got, it garnered a lot of negative press as if the cruise lines were holding them hostage by some, you know, for some reason, even though that wasn't the case at all. I and mean, a lot of the countries were simply saying you can't come in no matter who you are. Um, Barbados was one of them that said, no, you can come here and you can fly people in and out, get off the cruise ship, you know, you'll adhere to certain standards, but 
they open their borders. That, I think, is a major component. And in addition, um, Royal Caribbean International President CEO Michael Bailey serves on the America's Cruise Tourism Task Force, which is co-chaired by the Prime Minister of Barbados, uh, Mia Moore Motley. So I, I don't think that those two facts are uh, a coincidence in this. It certainly, I think, helped. And obviously, uh, Barbados and the cruise industry working together here. Um, and what's interesting, Billy, I learned from this is that while Royal Caribbean really hasn't offered cruises from Barbados in the past um, directly, they've gone to Barbados, but not from Barbados. Um, other cruise lines have used Barbados as a hub. Uh, notably, I think Pullmanter used to sail from there, uh, yep. among them, some others. Yeah, and, and that actually... Um yeah, I said there there may be some COVID related related reasons that don't have to do with the CV, CDC uh, potentially, and that is that um, Barbados as an embarkation port is uh, no longer served or served as much given the state of Pullmanter and and a number of other cruise lines, um, some of which may not have homeboarded there, but you know visited regularly at least. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the same is true with some of the destinations. Um, nearby St. Lucia and Trinidad Tobago, but also, uh, I believe, um, now I'm, of course we hit record and I forget, uh, what the itineraries were, but in, uh, Central America, what were the other, uh, ports of call? Cologne, Cartagena. Yes. Cologne, Cologne was, uh, was the one that I had in mind. That was an itinerary that was hit very frequently by Pullman Tur and, uh, an MSC as well. So now you have this region that is underserved. And you have a cruise line saying, well, we could take advantage of the whole kind of bird in the hand, if you will, of we we can be confident that in December we can sail. Guests will get to experience something new. And guests that may have been sailing with other lines or even other related lines, such as Pullmanter, uh, might want to take advantage of this as well. If you are looking to take a uh, a cruise in the region and you live in Brazil, for example, with a massive population what's more convenient to you flying to Barbados or flying to Fort Lauderdale? Right. So I think there are, there are a lot of potential considerations there. Now was, uh, was the relation, did the relationship come about because the, the government of Barbados uh, allowed crew members to disembark and and they, they worked with cruise lines. Uh, I don't know. Again, speculative. I don't know if it was, Hey, thanks for doing us this favor. We'll do you this favor. Mm-hmm. Uh, certainly the Barbados would love to have more tourism and not, and when, when it's as an embarkation port, it's all the greater because as some might be aware, all these tourist destinations, they look at on average, how much does a cruise guest spend in our economy per day? All right. How much does an overnight guest staying in a hotel spend per day? So, so, uh, for sailings that are leaving from a port, they have overnight guests. They're staying in hotels. They're eating at local restaurants. They may be tacking on some time at the beginning or end of their cruise. They're going to get a lot more spent. So yes, it's valuable. Was that a, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours? No idea. But was there clearly more communication uh, between not only Richard Fane, but but others in the cruise industry and the government of the Barbados uh, second to COVID? Absolutely. So, it, you know, perhaps it opened up some lines of communication that, uh, that were always available, but not used as much. Um, it definitely in that way, I look at this as a, everybody wins. 
you know, uh, potential guests in South and Central America, as well as North America, can be served by this. People can see destinations they weren't able to see before. Uh, there's a gap in coverage <laughs> that uh, that can be closed. The Barbados gets a big tourism win out of it, as well as, of course, the areas that uh, that the ships will be visiting. Everybody, everybody wins from this, and that's nice because we don't often see something like that. Yeah, and the other thing, of course, it's been pointed out is you know you've got let's assume worst case scenario and worst case scenario would be quantum of the seas is sailing Singapore and grandeur in Barbados. That's two ships. That's not, this is not the financial, um, uh, life preserver for the cruise line. You can't, <laughs> right. this isn't going to make or break. It's not going to make the, uh, the cruise lines, uh, financial situation. You'd have to start doing this on a wider scale. You know, if you start having six ships doing this or 10 ships doing this, okay, now you're talking about, trying to get around the CDC, but this seems to be, I think, exactly. you know, this is more of a, you know, an opportunity more than anything, but not necessarily part of some grand strategy to get around that. So that's certainly something to, to keep in mind. Yeah. If you run a, uh, largely vacant strip mall, you are happy to have the Halloween store there, uh, <laughs> seasonally, <laughs> but, uh, but you're not like, Oh man, you know what? Not that upset about Macy's moving out. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And that's what this is. Um, what would be interesting is you know, why grandeur? Well, gra there weren't exactly plans for grandeur in the Royal Caribbean fleet uh, until recently. So they had they had some tonnage that was available, ready to go. So that that's an easy move. If this ends up being a big win for Royal Caribbean, in terms of, and when I say that, I really mean for passengers yeah. more than anything. If passengers like this, if guests like this, then we may see that some some larger ships, some more modern ships, I'm not knocking grandeur at all, uh, move there. But this was to me just logical. Yeah, it makes a lot. It makes a lot of sense. I mean, the only, the issue um, with all of this is just simply the logistics involved because Barbados is not around the corner. Um, they're. I think part of the reason why you don't see too many ships ever sailing from Barbados is because it is a little far away. And it, what was interesting about this decision was not only did Royal Caribbean announce that they're offering cruises on Grandeur, but they took the next step of essentially locking up airfares and, and flights from a number of cities, uh, Toronto, New York, Boston, Miami, Manchester, London. Uh, they wanted to ensure that people could find flights, that this wouldn't be a situation in which Everyone says, oh, I'd love to go on this cruise, but I can't get a flight or there's nothing available. Um, this is part one of, and the other thing they did was they they also locked up hotel space, which is something that Royal Caribbean, I, I don't say ever does, but rarely, if ever, has done to provide that for guests. Usually that's just like, you know, you do that on your own, but they're really looking at this from a, how do we make sure this is as smooth a process for people to book and not going to run into, you know, stumbling blocks that make this not able to, you know, uh, achieve the goals that the cruise line has for these sailings. I suspect in doing this, the organization, uh, had some calls with those on the Azamara and Silver Seas side of the business. As we go up market to smaller ship lines, they tend to do this type of thing a lot more often, uh, because for example, Papete doesn't have quite the number of flights and hotel rooms available hmm. as uh, Miami. So when you're running sailings out of places that, um, 
Yeah, they they have a tourism-based economy. Of course, there are ways to get in and out, but it, they don't present nearly the number of options and guests aren't as familiar. Uh, lines have to lean more on uh, on organized deals like this. And, and they have to not only because it's the right thing to do to make it easy for guests, but because guests are going to depend on them for it. Yeah. So uh, air-sea programs for cruise lines can be for, for contemporary lines and even premium lines, somewhat polarizing to guests. I've heard, um, it's not quite in the, can I wear jeans in the main dining room uh, <laughs> category, but there are people that say, oh, I would never do that. There, there aren't enough options and I just want to handle this on my own. And I, I don't like the seat assignment they gave me. And there are other people that say, no, it, it's, it's great. I got a good deal. And, uh, I didn't have to worry about what would happen if if I missed the flight, et cetera. And there's not a right or a wrong here. I always encourage people to check the air sea options um, when booking a cruise because for one, even if you don't care, even if it is to a destination like Miami and you're coming from New York and you go, well, there are a billion flights, sometimes you'll just be really surprised at the deals. <laughs> Frankly, you could be surprised in either direction. You could be going, can't believe they're charging this much. But other times you may say, well, this, this is a, a great deal and has these other benefits. Um, so in this particular case, guests that sail out of those um, uh, smaller embarkation ports, uh, again, I use Papete as the example, they're used to that type of thing on, on smaller ship lines. Uh, so Royal has the expertise there at Asmar and Silversea to say, hey, how can we make this as easy as possible for guests. And it's a good thing they did because I actually did, when this story first uh, broke, I did a quick search and I just used a couple examples. So this is not comprehensive, um, but to give you an idea, I looked at a few dates and I looked at round trip tickets from Miami to San Juan. And I looked at those same dates, Miami to Bridgetown. And the reason I did Miami isn't just because I'm in South Florida, but because if you live in, uh, Keokuk, Iowa, you probably aren't getting a direct flight to San Juan or Bridgetown, right? Yep. So I thought Miami's a, a common stopover for these flights anyway. And when I did that, uh, round trip Miami-San Juan for several dates averaged out to roughly $150 total. Round trip Miami uh, to Bridgetown, same dates averaged to uh, more than $250 total with far fewer options in terms of airlines, flight times, uh, and other variables. So just in a really simple comparison, it's not as easy to fly to Bridgetown as to obviously to Miami or even to San Juan. Cruise lines, in any case, and especially in Royal's case, since guests maybe aren't uh, on average as accustomed to going into some of these ports, they're going to want to make that easy. And hopefully this turns some more people on to air-sea options. Yeah, you know, as as both of us are Floridians, um, we're keenly aware that we Floridians are a spoiled bunch. And the I, when you mentioned the people who, who wearing shorts in the dining room and flying for your cruise are all equally controversial topics among Floridians, whereas the rest of the country is like, what? Like, you know, if you're from Canada, if you're from St. Louis, if you're from almost anywhere, I mean, you're probably like, okay, you have to fly for the cruise anyway. It doesn't matter what's the difference. But there are, I mean, on the other, on the one hand, you know, we're a spoiled bunch. On the other hand, uh, locals drive market cruises always do better than fly market cruises because you can always fill the ship up with last minute deals to get people to go there. Even in in Puerto Rico, they've done that with some of those San Juan sailings where during hurricane season, if they're not selling well, 
they will offer special deals to the locals there to help fill that up. Barbados is going to be interesting because they can't really do that. Now, granted, you're talking about a smaller ship, Granger of the Seas, and we're going to assume there's going to be some level of um, uh, limited capacity on board, even in December. So you're not talking about trying to fill up an Oasis-class ship every week, but that is still, you know, it, it, it's nice to have locals around, and that does help fuel things around. But I do think that, uh, you know, the things working for Royal Caribbean is, at the end of the day, there are a lot of people who are willing to fly for, to go on a cruise ship. And on top of that, you know, this this whole concept of pent-up demand, that this isn't a normal year where you've got, okay, Billy, you can go on a cruise out of, you know, you've got this cruise out of, you know, uh, Fort Lauderdale, Port Everglades, you've got this cruise out of Tampa, this cruise out of Miami, and, or you can go fly for four hours to Barbados, and you would probably say, uh, you know, Matt, I'm going to go out of, um, you know, the the celebrity slumber out of um, the uh, Port Everglades and go on there. Um, but this is a situation where it's like this or nothing. What would you like to choose, Billy? <laughs> you know, and it's like, uh, well. <laughs> and, and on average, um, and I should know this number better because I wrote an article about it. I don't know. Give it a search, cruisehabit.com. Uh, <laughs> on average, uh, guests in North America book cruises, I believe it's nine months ahead. Again, I could be wrong. Um, so even if come December, there are options for sailings out of multiple North American ports. A lot of people want to book their trip now. Yeah. And they want some level of certainty. And this gives them a greater level of certainty in doing so. Uh, and, and that that means something, especially in a world where the we've spent as a planet in the last year um, time with very little certainty in anything. So, so there's some advantage there. And you're right; it's a smaller ship. Um, it, it's true they're not going to be able to get much local business out of that. Uh, you know, I've also written a number of times about some of those secondary markets and how they've become bigger. That ranges uh, not just the likes of uh, Galveston or Tampa, but even New Orleans, uh, uh, South Carolina, uh, several ports out of the Northeast, uh, Jacksonville. And the reason that they're getting more popular is not just because, yeah, it's very appealing for some people to drive, but for people who have not cruised before, that's a great way to get them in. It's a lower cost commitment. It's a lower time commitment is to say, well, there's the ship that leaves out of a port I can drive uh, drive to. So you're not likely between the airfare, and I don't just mean the cost, but between the, the fact that it's a longer flight for anyone in North America compared to uh, going to South Florida, uh, between that and the, the lack of anyone being able to drive, you're not likely to see a whole lot of first timers on these. Um, and Royal Caribbean tends to attract first timers because of marketing to the newer flashier ships anyway. So just kind of as I'm, as I'm talking through this, I'm thinking, man, this, this really makes even more sense than previous because you had a ship that they didn't have a plan for. You have a port that's now underserved. You have a market that's underserved and the ship that you could put in that underserved market would be best suited to uh, more experienced previous cruisers who also have seen some of these other ports before, but haven't seen a lot of the ports that these cruises will go to. Yeah. Leaves it, me, leaves me pretty optimistic. Yeah. I think that there's definitely a, a there's going to be a market for these cruises. I mean, it's, I think it's from what I've seen anecdotally, uh, it seems to be people, it's garnered people's interest. It's gotten some, some bookings there. And, uh, 
you know, it will be interesting to see, is this a step one? Or I guess this would be step two, actually, because the quantum would have been step one. But, you know, are we going to see more cruise ships going out of other not so common ports? Um, you know, uh, what what's, you know, obviously we all want to know what the future is going to hold, whether we're talking about three months from now, six months from now, or in this case, 11 months from now, you know, in terms of, you know, kind of how cruising is going to restart. But this may be a important first step to be able to do that. And um, it's, it's, it's a very intriguing option. It's a very... Something different, and whether or not they've been working at this for a couple of years, whether or not this began just a couple of months ago, you know, it, it's given us an opportunity to try something different. I love that they're doing something different. I love that they're not just sitting on their hands and waiting. And again, I we don't know how much of the current political landscape lines up with with their issues, but uh, at the at the very least, I, I do like that we're seeing some new options. Uh, I can finally stop googling how to become a Singaporean resident. Um, so this is, uh, for me, this is exciting. I, Billy, I've never been so excited to go on an airplane. I was just going to say that I've never heard you so excited <laughs> to go on to an air, on an airplane. Um, and, and listen, for those listening that haven't been to this part of the world that maybe you've taken some Caribbean cruises, I am a big advocate for the Southern Caribbean. Uh, there are a lot of places that I like in the Western Caribbean, Eastern Caribbean, a lot of, a lot of nice places, but it's also true that, uh, many of those places have a, a similar flavor or style mm. to them. When you get into the Southern Caribbean, it's a whole different deal. The ABC islands, uh, Barbados, St. Lucia, absolutely gorgeous. I've never been to, uh, Cologne, so I can't speak to, uh, to that, but, um, Southern Caribbean, they don't look at these and say, well, geez, don't do kind of what I did at the beginning of this podcast, actually. And don't go, you know what? If I'm going to get on a plane to cruise, I don't want it to be, uh, or if I'm going to take a longer plane ride, depending on where you live to cruise, I don't want it to just be another Caribbean cruise. Right. Well, these are totally different destinations. Well, there you go. Well, hopefully, uh, let us know, uh, send me an email if you end up, uh, booking one of these cruises and, uh, which one you go on. I did for the record, uh, I did book one cruise, the first sailing out. I'm not sure I'll actually go on it, but you know, the nice thing about all the this newfound um, flexibility is that there's really very little risk involved other than just putting money down for a deposit. So we'll see. And obviously, if I do go on that cruise, we'll definitely have some reports for you at realkoreanblog.com. And of course, if you're looking for uh, some more great insight into the cruise industry, always check out cruisehabit.com. We'll have a link in our show notes to that as well for you to check on out. Billy, always a pleasure having you here. Um, it, having you here is really the key to unlock the hidden wonders of our world. And uh, it's uh, it's nice having you here. I did you want to borrow money? You've never said anything that nice before. Thanks for having me, Matt. I appreciate it. It's always a pleasure. <laughs> and yes, I would like some money. Thank you. Hey, we're back with more listener emails. This is the part of the podcast where you can send me emails. Actually, this is the part of the podcast where I answer emails that you've sent me, but you can always email me emails to be read later on in another episode by emailing it to matt at royalcarbonblog.com matt m-a-t-t at royalcarbonblog.com our first email is from david mcloyd writes hi matt love the site and the chat you're my number one source for royal carbon info we're booked a family get-together on liberty of the sea sailing on easter sunday it's booked for about a year with two anniversaries our 20th my wife's first cruise ever realistically what do you think our chances of moving making that date get to me straight dude i can take it and if we can't sell them what's a better option lift and shift or future cruise credit you the man thanks for the follow-up dave thanks for the email buddy and obviously you know the answer already because david sent me this email of a couple days before royal green canceled 
it's March and April cruises. But I still wanted to answer this question because I think David's question is pretty much everybody's question. I've got a cruise coming up on blank insert date here. What are the chances of it going? Give it to me straight, dude. I can take it. No one knows. I mean, truly nobody knows. There's so many variables right now and so little information coming from either the CDC or the cruise lines that making any kind of prediction, having any kind of insight on what to expect is just impossible. Certainly there's a lot of pessimism out there that, you know, there's just no cruises until further notice. And when that further notice will be is remains to be seen. You know, it, it's easy to fall into that trap. Um, I, I, I guess my thought is basically it's really hard to make any kind of predictions and you know, going at it from a pessimistic standpoint where you're saying there's not gonna be any cruises. I'm not saying that's a wrong thing, but I also think it's an easy way to go. It's the path of least resistance. doesn't mean it's any more accurate than me telling you that I think that cruises are going to resume on May 1. I mean, it's just, I think equally there's <laughs> the same chances of it happening or not happening. It's just a matter of opinion at this point. So the bottom line is still nobody knows because again, we don't have enough information about it. But as I've said before, I'm still planning my cruises and if they go, great. And if not, well, we'll move forward. But I did also want to answer the uh, other question from David here about lift and shift for FCC. Lift and shift is the better option if you know you want to go on the same cruise around the same time. So like you booked a spring break cruise or in this case, you booked Easter. You know, you figure out when Easter is in 2022 and you lift and shift it. And the reason why it's better is it, it protects the price you booked. It allows you to lock in that price from this year and get it for next year because odds are, and I think it's a pretty good chance of it, the price next year is already more expensive than what you paid for this year. So lift and shift is extremely lucrative for that standpoint. The future cruise credit is a better choice if you're not necessarily interested in booking a cruise a year from now. You want to rebook for something sooner or just a different date altogether, different itinerary. There's a lot of good reasons. So I would look at lift and shift as your first choice, but if it doesn't fit for what you're looking, then the FCC is the better choice in that regard. So thanks, David, for the email. Appreciate that. Our next email is coming to us from Steve T. He writes, I really enjoy your podcast and website. Like many, just had my third cruise canceled for April. Not unexpected. So now it's time to start looking at my next planned cruise. Oasis of the Seas out of New Jersey, August 8th, if we sail. At this point, it looks like all excursions have to be booked through Royal Caribbean. Does this include U.S. ports also? We stopped in Port Canaveral for the day. I've spent a lot of time in the Canaveral Cocoa Beach area, and we're just going to rent a car for the day. Might have to change plans and go to Kennedy Space Center instead. Also, as a self-described beer geek snob, any updates on Royal and Funky Buddha's branded beer? One of my big wishes for Royal Caribbean would be to take the beer selection as seriously as the wine and liquor selection. Thanks for everything. So that's a good question, Steve, about, you know, excursions. And but let me be clear, as of right now, they're recording this podcast, Steve. We don't know definitively if Royal Caribbean will have that rule where you can only go on shoreline uh, provided excursions and not on your own. I think everyone expects that to be the case, but technically speaking, that's not necessarily a rule yet. So, you know, I, I need to put that out there. But I would say that if you're a betting man, that cruises in the next nine to 12 months almost certainly are going to have that rule because we've already seen that occur in other countries around the world like Europe and it's worked well. So I just think that's going to be the case here as well, where you can only book shore excursions through a Royal Caribbean and cannot get off the ship if you don't have a Royal Caribbean excursion. That's to prevent basically contamination going and doing things you shouldn't be doing or risky behavior, or working with tour guides that are darn you know, up to standards, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So when it comes to shore excursions, if you are obviously looking to do something and book something now, then I would say book a Royal Caribbean Shore Excursion is the safe bet. You can always cancel it later on, you know, so there's very little risk there. In terms of the beer selection, listen, buddy, I'm with you 100% on this one. 
I have always lamented Royal Caribbean's beer selection. It's always been just meh. I've actually talked with Royal Caribbean's beverage team a couple times about this particular topic. From what I understand, the bigger issue is, is the distributor and being able to provide a basically a source of certain beers to all of its ships. It's not as simple as simply somebody going down to the local supermarket and be like, oh, look, they've got this kind of beer. Let me pick that up. You know, getting craft beers, getting non Anheuser-Busch InBev type beers is actually harder than it sounds in terms of sourcing, in terms of buying in bulk. You have to remember, Royal Caribbean and all cruise lines purchase their alcohol in mass quantities many months in advance, and it's just simply easier to, you know, book it through a major distributor, which has limited access to specific brands or types of beers than it is obviously to work with smaller distributions. Now, the Funky Buddha branded beer is and was available, I should say, um, on Royal Caribbean uh, at at Perfect Day Coco Key. Uh, In fact, at the very end of cruises shutting, I remember in February 2020, when I was on Mariner of the Sea, Steve, Playmakers actually had that branded beer and all their Funky Buddha brand beer on board the ship. Now, that was right at the end of, you know, February 2020. So obviously that was right before the whole cruise industry shut down. But I'm hoping that would be a step in that direction. Funky Buddha is a smaller brand in South Florida and uh, Mariner going out of there was obviously you know, right in their ballpark. Actually, Mariner was going out of Port Canaveral. I digress, but you know what I mean? It's in Florida. You're in the neighborhood there. So I would love for them to see more beer. I mean, listen, I like a good IPA. I like more flavor. I'm not looking for another beer that basically tastes like Bud Light to me. Uh, I like a little more flavor. I know that people maybe not care. I think the other thing is to give them credit where credit is due, and you're not going to agree with this, Steve, but one of the big trends has been the hard uh, seltzer and, and certainly jumping on that train. And Royal Caribbean has been doing the truly option as opposed to the White Claw. And there's now there's like a ton of choices there. So they have been, I think, very good at kind of reading the room to some extent. But I agree, I would love to see more selection out there because, yeah, there's a lot more uh, uh, beers out there than just what we see, and I would definitely welcome another choice. Our next email comes to us from Joe Mock, writes, I know we're somehow related because on episode 388, you mentioned that if someone wanted to make the safest reservation possible, your suggestion was to book a three or four nighter on Navigator this season. Well, my brother Johnny V and I, you know, the bro cruise fame, were way ahead of you. We had already booked with the amazing bath at MEI Travel, shameless plug, to book something even better, a three-night, four-night, back-to-back on Navigator of the Seas for December 2021. Gets me on Navigator for the first time, gets me a back-to-back cruise, which is a bucket list item, and gets Johnny V the seven-night cruise that he prefers. So looking forward to Bro Cruise 6 sailing for kicks. And tips for us as we go, hopefully, on our first back-to-back and Navigator tips in particular. As always, thanks for all you do. Proud to be a Real Green Blog Insider. Shameless plug again. Joe Mock, what a legend. Thank you, sir, for your generosity and for your shameless plugs. I appreciate them. In terms of back-to-back, you might have already done this already, Joe. You always want to book the same room. Uh, Ideally, if you're doing a back-to-back cruise, which is two cruises in a row, you want to have the same room. So that way, between cruise one and two, you don't have to leave. You don't have to unpack. You can go back to your room uh, in in that afternoon uh, of of the second sailing. Definitely the way to go. I would, I'm sure you already did. I'm sure Beth already recommended that to you, but yeah, definitely the way to go there. In terms of Navigator of the Seas, my goodness, I mean, there's so many great things to do. I love the escape room on Navigator of the Seas. There's such great dining on board. Um, you know, it just explore the new venues on there. You know, the water slides, the escape room, the lime and coconut pool deck is amazing. Love that space. Very, very cool. They refresh the entire pool deck. It's really nice. I absolutely love 
uh, what they've done with Navigator Disease. It's my second favorite Royal Caribbean ship behind uh, Harmony of the Seas, and it's very close, I got to tell you. But uh, you're going to love it. Your brother's going to love it. I'm very jealous you got that booked. And hey, listen, cruises do restart by that point, and we're good to go. I might have to join you guys, because at this point, I'm so far behind on cruising. I, it, it's, it's killing me. But once we start cruising again, man, I'm going to let loose on that. No question about it. And our last question today comes from Robert Jaworski. It's, hey, Matt, thanks for all the information you provide. As you know, we live in Sydney, Australia, where we, when we decide to take a flight to the U.S., we want to make the most of the trip. We're seeking your insight into our proposed cruises. We wish to take advantage of the double crown and anchor points by booking before the end of January. We're thinking of the following. Symphony of the Seas back-to-back Western and Eastern Caribbean uh, starting in January 2022 and then disembark of Miami on board Odyssey of the Seas at Fort Lauderdale the same day for a Southern Caribbean cruise. Not knowing the layout, are we being too ambitious doing a disembark and embarkation from the same day from different ports or should we take a few days to do the Southern Caribbean on another ship like maybe Vision of the Seas which departs a few days later? We enjoy the ocean, swimming, snorkeling alike but are worried the air and water temperature in the fall will be too cold to enjoy the water. I can tell you, right, that's not, don't worry about that. It'll be very warm. Uh, we can see there are slightly different Eastern Caribbean itineraries, but this is our first time, and I'm sure regardless of where we go, we'll enjoy it. In saying this, are there any must-see ports of call which I should look out for? Looking forward to your thoughts, and thank you for your time. Best wishes to you and your family. Thanks, Robert. Really appreciate that. So so let's go backwards in your email. First of all, you mentioned fall, but then you said your cruise is in January 2022. And I think maybe this is the old Southern Hemisphere versus Northern Hemisphere. January is winter up here. Um, and January is a colder month. When you go to the Southern Caribbean, though, it's always warm. You're going to have temperature in the 80 degree Fahrenheit range. Uh, I don't know what the Celsius is, but I'm sure you can figure it out. Uh, it's it's going to be plenty warm to go uh, over there. I'm not Southern Caribbean is not so much of a problem. If you're going to the Bahamas, it can be a little chilly, especially the water temperature. But I, I think for most people, listen, for Floridians like me, who are big babies, you know, we're like, eh, it's too cold. And then you'll see all the Northerners going in the pool because they don't care. And I think for yourself, I think you'll have no problem at all. So I wouldn't worry too much about the pool weather and, and all that. It's very rare for it not to be warm enough to be in the water. Maybe be a little chilly when you get out of the water, but certainly in there, you'll be good to go. In terms of the back-to-back, or, or in your case, you're doing what's called a side-to-side, where you go on one cruise, get off the ship, move to another ship. In this case, going from Miami to Fort Lauderdale. Pre-COVID, this would have been very possible to do. I'm not saying it's impossible to do once cruises do resume. We just don't know enough information about it in terms of will there be delays now with disembarkation or embarkation in terms of being able to get there? Because you have to get from Miami to Fort Lauderdale. That's about... I mean, with traffic, you know, worst case, about an hour, probably, maybe a little less. It, it really depends because a lot more people go to Miami than they go to Fort Lauderdale. So you'll be going somewhat against the grain, but you still run into traffic, especially in the morning if it's on a weekday. If it's on a weekend, you'll have no traffic. So not to worry too much about that. The issue that I'm more concerned with is the how long will it take us to get off cruise ships and then how long will it take you to get back on board on the next one? I think it will still be possible to do. But if I were you, Robert, it, it's tough to make that decision today. And listen, your cruise is not till January 2022. So you have a lot. You could book it now and then obviously change your mind up to the final payment date with very little risk involved. So I might go about it with that standpoint. But I cannot in good faith tell you right now today that, yes, that'll be no problem at all. I would wait it out a little bit more. I mean, talking about Odyssey versus Vision is a major gap there in, in what to expect. So, yeah, I might book Odyssey, you know, see how it goes and make a decision a little closer, maybe, uh, you know, towards the end of 2021, you'll have a better idea of what to expect from that standpoint. So hopefully that answers your question. Thank you to everybody for the wonderful emails today. 
And if you have an email about Royal Caribbean you want to be answered on the podcast, send it to me at matt at royalcaribbeanblog.com. Matt, M-A-T-T, at royalcaribbeanblog.com. So until next time, I'm Matt, and we'll talk again real soon.